episode of the Chelsea Spot podcast. We are recording in the afternoon, the day after our, well, yeah, the day after our loss in the night um, for at least us in the UK. It was a 4-0 loss to Arsenal and as much as it's pre-season and we don't really care about results, I don't think the performance was brilliant either and I think the result does actually suggest that um, this time. But before before we do get into it, um, I'm not joined today by Orlando or Dan or Danny or Rob. And they're unfortunately all away or on holiday or busy. So I decided to get two two guests, two two fans of the podcast, um, who who do listen in, and that that does lead me on to the next point. And that um, if you if you are a fan and you do want to come on, do just send us a message on the Chelsea spot or myself um, and. You know, there's a chance you can come on. Because um, the two guests I have today, the first one is Peter. How are you doing, mate? I'm good, Perth. Thanks. It's, it's been some time since I've waited on this, so I'm happy to join. So, yeah, thanks for the invite and thanks for having me on. No worries. And Raf, you've been on a few of our Twitter spaces, so I thought it was only right you'd come on the pod. How are you doing? Yeah, bro, I'm good. I've known about you and Orlando and this podcast I think I've known you guys longer than the podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I mean, good to be on. Lovely stuff. Um, let's get straight into it. Um, I think the, the, the thing, as, we, as I was saying just to you lot before we started the recording, like, we could have, as much as, I mean, I think most people definitely saw this coming because Arsenal have had a much better preseason than us, and we've had a pretty, very average preseason in terms of playing and minutes and shit like that. Um, but, but yeah. So on that note, even if you didn't watch the game, I think the problems which I'm about to bring up were very, very much still the case before. Um, so yeah, I'm. I, let's get into it. The Arsenal game. I, we were. As much, yeah, okay. So we started the first. The first half, we went with the four at the back. Uh, when I saw the lineup, I was thinking, okay, it's going to be like a mix of a four-two-three-one and a four-three-three. Three. Um, except Tuchel decided to go for some. I don't know. It was, it was really weird, like a four-four-two. But then Mason was really high, and he didn't really know where he was playing. Connor didn't really know what he was doing. Georgie was playing deep. I thought he had. Decent game to be honest, um, but again he didn't have much help either. And we all know in sort of like the counter attack he's going to get done. Um, so the f- the first question which I'll, I'll go to Raf first um, was sort of like fans have been crying out for Tuchel to use the four at the back, etc. But do we really have the squad suited for it? I mean, for starters, we don't have the squad suited for it, and second of all, it doesn't really matter. Fans, the, the issue with fans right now, they don't really understand. Four at the back, three at the back, no matter what the top team, they're going either 3-2-5 or 2-3-5 in possession. So it's all about how you use it rather than the numbers you get in those areas. And we don't really effectively do that well. That's, that's the issue. And when you've got players that can't really cover space, when you've got players that also can't really win duels, 
and a load of players that can't go 1v1 or it's not being generated to them um, in, in terms of wing play, it's going to be very stale. So <laughs> I'm not really shocked. The four at the back thing, uh, fans need to realise we just don't have the players for a more expansive system, but it's still, even the 4-2-2-2, it's still a 3-2-5 effectively. So, yeah, that's my thoughts on it. No, I, I do agree. I think, I mean, I'll bring on to later, but yeah, Peter, what, what do you think about the four at the back? No, I pretty much agree with what Raf said. I don't think a formation is actually, well, it, it bears relevance, but it's pretty much the movement and the generation of movement is what um, is key to a certain system. And even if you start with four, I think Tuchel's pretty much showed that like his whole plan is to play front with a front five and basically a back five. So that's, I think he did it at PSG. I think he also did it at Dortmund. So I have no issues with that. The issue is we we definitely lack profiles in our squad to execute said expansive system. So that's where our struggles come from. I think majorly what we, the fact that we lack, <laughs> Raf said we almost lack, I think we don't have any, if we're being completely honest, we don't really have any like pure 1v1 threat. And then the dependence on width, both from like fullbacks, isn't exactly ideal because we don't manage to create space for them. So those things are super key for the system to work, and we don't have it. And uh, therefore, you get results which are pretty much mediocre and or boring to watch for, basically. Yeah, I agree with you both. I think the thing is, I think a lot of people have been crying out for that, myself included, because we sort of want that extra space for the attacker whilst we're being so useless in defence, for example, and midfield, we're just like, okay, you may as well just try and play Sterling, Mount, Havertz, and another attacker altogether. Um, and I guess, I guess, but then I think I very much recognise that we still don't have that defensive midfielder, which we all need. And I think the, the, the really the only one at the club is Ethan Ampadu. And, we haven't we have well we haven't tried him in a four at the back formation yet in preseason in midfield we've just seen him um in three at the back in midfield and defense um so i think mm, i i don't know i still would like to see four at the back like with a proper proper defensive midfielder um because i think that really does put us to the next level but i think yeah well Dec- Declan Rice, someone like him, until that's not happening, I think we simply have to switch to three at the back. Sorry, stay with three or five at the back. Um, but then but then that leads me on to my next point, that I have a massive problem with this current formation and setup, that as soon as we switch to a five, it just turns into pass it to Reese, cross it inside, and hope we score. And that's all we have at the moment. Um and it's just, we're, it, I, I tweeted it last night, but I just think we're going to be relying heavily on Mount and James once again for any sort of goal contributions. I don't know. I don't know what you guys think. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think they're, well, it's normal because they're like our most like prolific attacking options, definitely. Uh, at the same time, you kind of have to think that this is where like the issues come from in terms of... Um, our lack of 1v1 threat actually limits us to the point where we, we lack... The lack of 1v1 threat means lack of creativity. So opening up space for, say, anybody to exploit it, be it Reese in open space, Chuo in open space, or whoever like the key parts of this formation are, 
and then you also have to bear in fact that whilst we have decent midfielders in terms of progression of the ball, if we could say that, decent. Jorginho and Kovacic aren't exactly the most ideal passers. Mind you, I feel they're actually relatively good. What I mean by ideal passers, I mean when you want to progress the ball quick, fast, and in transition especially, you want the ball to be received right in front of your receiver. For example, Liverpool do that perfectly where whichever midfielder has the ball, he can put it in front of the receiver's legs. So he barely, so he basically doesn't um, stop the momentum of the attack, is what I mean. So said open space can be exploited to the maximum of, the, of their ability and, set, and capacity. Whereas we don't have that. A lot of our passes come in behind the receiver, force him to take a step back or force him to take extra steps further, which in turn leave the defender with a position to like, make up ground, if you can say that. And that that's a big problem in itself, I feel. I mean, yeah, I would say, I would actually argue we don't actually generate 1v1 opportunities that much for our quote-unquote wingers because they're effectively 10s. And we, I, I think we have to judge them on different things. And even then, I don't think they do it too well in terms of the technical security, ball progression um, from those areas, um, turning, receiving, and then uh, passing it in that way. And then you've also got to remember, opponents notice this. I watched a bit of the Arsenal game yesterday, and what I noticed was that a load of the players, right, they, they wouldn't get into the half space. And when they would, they wouldn't be secure with it because there was a load of space. The Arsenal gave it to us because they knew we wouldn't really do much with it. And I think one of the main issues is, as much as we don't have the personnel for it, we, uh, the, as much as we don't have the personnel for it, I think we only have one guy maybe to a stretch, that if we were to optimise wing play for 1v1 opportunities, uh, it would actually suit them a lot more. And then in regards to Mount and Reese James, Reese James is our only outlet. <laughs> we effectively use our right back as an outlet. And if that doesn't scream, there's an issue. I, I don't know what does. So, yeah, I was, I was going to add to your point, Raph. I agree that we don't create enough uh, 1v1 opportunities, but I, I also do think that partially down to the fact that we just don't have players who are like confident enough to hold the ball in the final third. Like if you look at a zone uh, in terms of zones on the football pitch, when you put it from zone 13 to 15, we, we literally have nobody who can take the ball, control it, turn around and then make a decision. And even if he's forced to take a player on or just turn around and again, pass backwards, which is pretty much 90% of what we do, we don't have someone, maybe maybe Mount right now and Sterling to an extent, who can calmly keep the ball and either move it fast enough to generate something out of nothing. And, that, and that's essential because that's what you call a difference maker, and we don't really have that. Uh, I do, I do think though that we have seen it in spurts. With what I'm on about, let's say someone carries it for space, for example. We've seen in games such as against Spurs, Hudson Odoi, uh, he went on a false transition pretty much for, for the goal for Ziyech. I mean, we do have players that can do that. And in that system, it's still not as optimal. So I understand where, I understand why Tuchel is essentially playing this 3-4-3. Uh, three, three. But my main grievance with it is, if we're going to play that way, we need the players that stylistically suit it. For example, we're going to need Okay, we've now got Raheem. You're probably going to need a nine, like an actual nine. 
And then you're also probably going to need a 10 that is, can actually operate in the half spaces, which is not really too common nowadays. Um, a, a 10 that can operate in the half spaces can look up, can turn, can make the right decision. Because nowadays, everything's just about width. <laughs> There's barely any of these guys that can actually operate in these um, spaces. So I think that's one of them. If you're going to stick with this, that's what you're going to have to do. I'd argue, though, that Mason is that guy who can do it essentially as a 10 in those half spaces. I think, yeah, his decision making at times is a bit 50, but that just comes with being a 23 year old with experience in the Premier League. I think, I think, in some senses, like as much as I like to see Mason deeper, and that's definitely where he's best as an eight, I mean, I think his passing is so underrated and we don't see any of that really. Um, in this sort of role he takes up high up the pitch um, I I still think the way you described it as in Sterling yeah I agree I think the number 9 we'll come on to it later um, I want to have a discussion about Havertz um, but then that Mason is that is probably one of the only 10s you know at the club who who can work in the central areas and that is why Tuchel is playing him there um, I, think, I think even Tuchel definitely recognises that could prefer him to be deeper, to be linking up the play and all of that. Um, but in the system, I think, well, Mason pretty much has to, well, he does play under every manager. He is the manager's dream. And the deal you saw for him in this setup is really in that, in that 10 role, as you said. Um, so I think, I think it's interesting with Mason because if you look at last year, he was almost playing as a second striker or the highest person on the pitch. And that, was because Kai wasn't getting any goals and Lukaku wasn't getting goals. And Tuchel was like, well, I can really only rely on Mason to get a good shot on target and something for something to happen. Um, so what I'm hoping happens a bit now is that role almost sort of reduces. Raheem can do a lot of that himself. Of course, Raheem has other things to his game. Um, as we've seen in pre-season, we haven't seen sort of the City Raheem. We've seen the the England Raheem, if that makes sense. Um so far in pre-season, so I'm hoping Mason has a lot less responsibility in front of goal, which he will still do on the way, I've got no doubt about it, and then he has a lot more responsibility, a lot deeper, he can he can be that guy, which we know he can be an attack. Um, and yeah, that, that leads me on to the last player I want to talk about in this sort of midfield discussion, that is Conor Gallagher. I think last night was a was, an, was a massive sort of started a massive convo on Connor, on Connor. Um because I've been saying this, people people are saying he can play in the pivot role in the midfield too. And I agree he can, but I think Ruben's better a better option. I think Gilmore's a better option. I think Kante's a better option. I think Kovacic is a better option. And I think um Jorginho is a better option. Um and that's sort of the reality we're at. Whereas in a midfield two, Connor is probably our fifth or sixth option in the front three he clearly hasn't been looked at um i think i think in this setup that is probably where he'd be best um and then in yes in the midfield three i think that is certainly where connor would thrive as an eight and as we saw as we tried to see in the first half yesterday um but then not having that sitting midfielder obviously is going to make things difficult for him and i i do also want to say i don't think his the first half which he had yesterday was anywhere near as bad as people were saying i think yeah in the first 10 15 minutes he was running around like a headless chicken making so many tackles and shit but like that happens and that's a young player in pre-season trying to impress so after that he still made a few good tackles um 
But I think, yeah, I don't know. I, th- I mean, I think it, do- it does look like he's going to stay and Tuchel does really like him. So I can always, I do think he will stick around this season. But like, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure he's going to get the game time he wants. I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, well, Conor Gallagher, I, the reason why he's not good in the midfield too is because he's very bad at trying to um, face forward. So he's well, on the half turn. He's not. Uh, for example, it's night and day. Look at Mason Mount on the half turn, and then look at Conor on the half turn. Uh, it's just not really Conor's game. I think he's best as, as you said, as an eight in the midfield three, where he's naturally just going to face forward a bit more. Not, yeah, more or less in a midfield three. I think he's better at, and that's only because. He's very good at attacking the box. You've got to give him that. He's very good at, <laughs> in terms of the final third decision-making, he's actually pretty decent at that as well. Um, so he's got very good sides to his game. He's very good off the ball. Um, an intensity freak, like we like to say. Um, but, yeah, I think his main issue in the midfield, too, is that um, he's very bad at facing forward. And that's, that's kind of where I think I understand why fans are um, quite annoyed because they really want this... They want the idea of a player that um, he's a nice tempo, tempo controller. He understands um, certain bits. He can play out of a press, um, quite aggressive as well. Um, very good on the ball, technically secure. That's what a fan really wants, and I, and I, and I understand it. Um, but to nullify what Conor Gallagher can potentially provide, um, it's quite sad, to be honest. But I, I do understand why fans would react in such a way. To be honest, the way the way you just the, the what you know what you were describing, what the fan wants as a midfielder. I mean, that is literally Billy Gilmore. Um, the few things you said, and I think it's pretty well. We we discussed it in the last pod, so I'm not going to go into it again. But I mean, we all know what we think of the decision for Gilmore to be with 21s. Um, it is pretty ridiculous, and it actually it actually makes no sense. And I. I thought about it again last night. If there's any reasoning, um, and especially after watching the game yesterday, it makes even it makes like no sense at all. Like this is a midfielder who Tuchel knows so well and has played well under Tuchel, and just one loan at Norwich has completely changed his opinion of him. Like I don't even know. Um, but anyway, go go and listen to the last pod if you want more on that. Um, but yeah, I don't know, Peter. Just to just finish off this midfield discussion, what what, what do you think? You know, Conor Gallagher. I think he's a player who I think a lot of people do like, but I think people are gonna people are gonna learn a lot about him this season. Yeah, I like him as well. I think he had two stellar loans, three even. Uh, I think Raf pretty much hit the nail on the head, so I don't really need to add much on that in terms of the differences he like he and Mount provide. Um. My only issue is I I do even before like the preseason started I had my I'd say doubts about where and how Tuchel would utilize Kona and I think I like the assumption that well that was said that Tuchel pretty much likes him as a Kante style player winning the ball high, in terms of winning the ball high up the pitch because of his tenacity mobility his aggressiveness to to press and etc but at the same time, he's not used to being as ball dominant as someone like Kovacic would in terms of when placed in the midfield too, in a pivot. And I think, although I don't think he's as bad on the ball as people suggest he is, because that, that's been a discussion and I think that's, that's just not true. I do think he's not, he's a bit limited. And 
when you say when you put a midfielder that is limited in a midfield two, both tactically and as we said on the ball, I think you is just a recipe for disaster to an extent, especially when you're not pairing him with someone who's very defensively minded. And Jorginho isn't that. And I think Jorginho is probably the only sitter we have in our squad. So nobody else would actually do that role. So I don't think maybe Ampadu, yeah, we could do that and see how it looks. I think it did pretty well in the last game rather than this one. So yeah, I I do think Connor will develop with time. It's he's still young, he's still raw. He has the tools for a lot of different roles and different tactics. So, but if you ask me right now. I'd ideally probably have him in a midfield three rather than a midfield two, alongside Mount and someone purely defensive. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that is definitely the best way to look at Connor. And let's not forget, after the first game, everyone was sort of gassing up Connor, saying he must stay, blah, blah, blah. So I don't think two preseason games should let you change your mind, let alone the first one. I don't think, I don't know, you should sort of stick with your opinion of what you had of Connor. Um, and I think. He's going to keep on um, learning. Yeah, go ahead, Pia. Oh, I was just going to say that usually you know how Twitter works because all of us stay on Twitter a lot. So there's there's pretty much this agenda that keeps running. One day someone's rated, the next day he is, and it's, it's always a normal thing. So I, I don't really pay too much attention for it. Um, I think... Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's go the, on, Rock, go on. Yeah, that's the thing because... Uh, I was speaking to someone today, right, about the way clubs look at it. And the truth is, a lot of the decisions the clubs make, <laughs> it's going to be down to the fan because you get these hostile fan bases sometimes and it does bring a ne- negativity around the club. And uh, one of the things, right, think about it this way. If I had a, a, a young player, right, who one day is good, one day is bad, the club are gonna realize that they're gonna realize fans they don't they don't waste time because this instant gratified I don't I don't know what is going on with all of these fan um with the fan base right one day Conor Gallagher goes uh, the next coming of Balak <laughs> the next day um he can't pass the ball I I don't get it man I I really don't yeah I think it's just Chelsea fans are used to winning, man. Like you, you, you know it. I know it. Everybody knows it. We're just used to being one of the top teams in England, and therefore we're incredibly fickle. Well, most of us are. I'm. I'm. I wouldn't say I am at this point, but they're incredibly fickle. So the the dis different like the distance in between praise and hate is pretty slim. So one day, as you said, one day he's great, and then the next day he's just poor. And especially what surprises me is that doesn't apply to young players. It, it applies to young players in terms of they, they're not ready to give them time, if you understand. Like they, they rate certain players and then suddenly they're not as good as they should be. And immediately they have to be sold because we can't win things with young players. So it all comes down to expectations being a bit too high at the club. And I understand that to an extent, but. We'll get on to that, I take it, and then I'll speak my piece fully. <laughs> Perfect. Um, and yeah, now, <clears throat> the yeah, I just wanted to go on to the last part, which I sort of 
the the last main talking point from last game against Arsenal, um, and that was Kai Havertz, who I don't think has had a good pre-season at all. Um, he is our striker. He hasn't scored a goal. Um, and I, I, was, I was giving the benefit of the doubt to Havertz last season because... I could see the movement was there. I could see he was obviously he was obviously trying. He always tries, and he had good games. And he he does turn up in the big games. I think you can see that as well. But it's sort of like this summer I was relying on him, working on his sort of his build. I think that's one thing. Working on his sort of style of finishing and things like that. And yeah, sort of just like protecting the ball. And I feel for him because he is a number ten playing in a striker's role not even a false nine role he's playing in a striker's role um and he's sort of you know he is technically being played out of position i'm sure he definitely would prefer a 10 as much as a 10 is barely in football these days sort of like the central ones where he does thrive um but yeah i wanted to speak on i want to ask you guys like kai Havertz as a striker isn't going to get us more than I don't think he's going to get more than 10 or 15 Premier League goals this season. So, do we need to buy a striker? Yeah, I think we will. I think we should, sorry. I oof. Actually, I don't think we need to buy a striker as much as I guess we need to just make sure Broja stays. So, reason being, I think he can be worked on and we have supposedly a budget in which we have to work and there's others there are other areas we need to address said 1v1 thread said midfielder and i guess wing back death but in terms of habits alone i look i really rated habits when he come in because in my job we pretty much have to watch too many games of football and i don't have a life uh, but jokes aside, uh, I watched him. I watched him uh, enough to form an opinion. I wouldn't say I was the best opinion, but I did watch him enough to form an opinion. And I think for Leverkusen, he played both well, a ten off the right, but more off the ball in terms of uh, he wasn't exactly a pure one v one winger, and both as a nine as well. In terms of characteristics, that's the thing. I don't see. I see something and then yet I see nothing, if I could say it like put it like that. Because I think he has some raw tools in which you can see that he, he can link up play relatively quick. When he's on it, like the games versus Real Madrid versus City, he can actually be a really good tool and a real outlet, a real asset. And yet at the same time, you have him in situations where it's just, I guess, consistency, his build his poor finishing everything combines to something that we get pretty much eight out of ten times and one of the reasons we're in the mess is that we have a lot of inconsistent players and kahad is actually probably at the very top of that so yeah (laughs) i wouldn't trust him leading the line long term well not long term unless he shows like some remarkable jump so never say never but Right now, I wouldn't trust him as being the sole leader of, uh, of the team because I, I just think he's sh- he's not shown enough. Let's be real, he's not shown enough. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna be a bit harsher than Pio. 
uh, I'm sorry, he's he's a transition heavy uh, nine. He's not this. He's not what people think he is. Like for example, you mentioned Real Madrid and all of those games. Those games, his best work was on the transition, and obviously there are times he has some nice attributes and he could potentially end up being a nice nine. Who knows? But when you look at the talent that we've let go of for this guy and he doesn't really produce anything, I mean, I'm sorry, it needs to be better. And the, and this notion about Havertz being a 10 or a false nine, it needs to go. The guy's a nine. He, he doesn't do anything in which would allow people to call him a false nine. And when he's a 10 as well, I don't see anything miraculous in the half space, for example, like I was speaking about earlier. Like, for example, the ability to just receive and turn and um, pass away. He is so slow and methodical in those areas, and he loses the ball often there. Lacks any type of technical security in those areas. So, for me, I see him as a nine, mainly. Uh, his best work at Chelsea has always been on the transition, in my opinion, at least, as a nine. So, I, I really don't know about Havertz. This is probably, his, for me, he has got to do it this year. And in regards to Brozier as well, I think a load of fans, they don't really understand. I think Brozier needs to improve a lot. In regards to the football we're going to play, naturally, <laughs> we're going to have the ball more or a bigger club. But specifically, this football, I can see Brozier struggling as well. Uh, maybe he might get more goals than Kai, but I can see him struggling. I, I really do think we might need to change something up just to get just to get more of a security in the whole team balance because it's all messed up but with Kai I mean uh, I, I'm worried to say the least oh, yeah I, I'm worried as well trust me <laughs> I know you wanted to be more harsh but uh, yeah I, I didn't want to sound too too good on him either because I feel he's really let us down honestly like I, I've when he came in, I was one of his biggest fans, actually. And I said, give him time, give him time. But right now, I'm honestly so Same. massively disappointed. And not that my opinion is relevant at the end of the day, but <laughs> you you touched on that. And exactly that, his physicality lets him down a lot. I think a lot of the duels he loses, it's... I don't think he wins a lot of duels, if any at all, to be honest. I'm left with such an impression that he can't, he can't win duels on the ground. And yet, he can't win them in the air either. And when, especially when we struggle to move the ball for fast enough for him to to use it, be it control it or pass it quick, he's just he just well he doesn't become useless, but he struggles, and those struggles are massive. And when you want him to be leading a line, and he's having those massive struggles in year three now, then you've got a massive problem on your hands, really. And I think we need to actually remember this as well. He actually came out and said he's not that typical type of nine that likes to um, be in duels. He likes to slip past people. And when I read that, I was really worried because it was synonymous in that Real Madrid game, actually. Not the, not the one in when we won the Champions League. I mean, uh, last year, well, last season's Champions League. And what he, his performance showed it. He likes to slip in. He doesn't like to um, get into duels. If you can't win ground duels, you can't win aerial duels, you can't really effectively be a nine for me because you're going to have that a lot naturally and then as a 10 you're not being secure in these areas so hey this is him not 
not me. He said he doesn't want to be indoors. So if you don't want to be in that, then what business do you have being a Chelsea nine? We, we, this club, this is the issue with this club now. We've lost our identity. And we've never been these guys. A load of people, they like to take the extremes. We were a very physical team back in the day, but our players were very good technically. We went from, obviously, Didier Drogba's, Didier Drogba's a phenom. We had guys like Costa as well. And, and now we're now getting gassed about a guy who doesn't want to get participate in duels. Like, <laughs> I must be going crazy, but this is not the Chelsea I know. Like, we, it needs to sort out, seriously. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I read those quotes and even, even I was a bit like, you're really coming out in an interview saying you prefer not to, you know, have that contact and just slip through and sort of skip past players. I'm like, I know you're not that type of player, but you are a Chelsea nine. Like, you, you've got to get used to the Premier League, but they are going to come and whack you. Like, it's not going to be easy. And as much as you probably don't want to play that number nine, um, you, you very much have that responsibility, and that's really your only place in this team. Yeah, I was going to ask, Sorry, I know you're the host, so forgive me for asking the question. <laughs> but uh, should do you guys feel we should be afraid of the fact that for the three years that he's been here, he's not really bulked up at all? Because I think that also is a, is a massive plus. Because when you compare him to Mason and someone who's... Although, yeah, Mason is small, he's not got that big of a build. You can tell he's put on some weight, which in turn allows him to shrug off defenders, keep the ball in the final third, or wherever and be able to just keep it under his uh, under his stature, under his body. Whereas Kai Havertz, he's not done that, I feel, at all. And that, in turn, has affected him adjusting to the roughness of the, uh, the Premier League. Because, yes, Bundesliga is, as Raf said, really transitional in the heavy. And you don't really... Well, you need physicality, but not as much if you're able to... You're smart enough to exploit open space. Absolutely, and I, th- I think um, I, I, I don't want Kai to become this massive, muscly striker. I think people have got to get that. Like, you just want him to be able to sort of, you know, shrug off a player or give him a little knock. The amount of times last season where Havertz was sort of 1v1 with the goalie with a defender on him and the defender would just give him a little nudge and he would go completely off balance. That's something which I think he definitely should have worked on over the summer, which we haven't seen so far. And also, like... I feel like he's still got in his head that he's playing for Liverpool in in in, in the sense that I th- first first of all I think he would be one of the best attackers in the world if he's playing for Liverpool system. I I generally do believe that, but he's not. He's playing for Chelsea system where the number nine is really really different to Liverpool. And I mean yeah, I mean as you guys said, Liverpool. I mean they definitely play a transition heavy game. They do do the other things exceptionally well, but that is their main strength, I'd say. And we're we're simply not that. And Havertz hasn't sort of adapted well enough to being the number nine in this style under this manager at this club. Yeah, that's the thing. <clears throat> I think people are forgetting the main thing here about those quotes and with Havertz's lack of. Uh, physicality here it's mentality and as much as people don't like to hear it we've now had four plus managers speak about the mentality of the squad that's what i mean by a culture shock a culture change and it's not good 
the fact that we keep screaming mentality, this mentality, that it's it's mentality. Get to the gym. <laughs> you're gonna need to bulk up. You're gonna need to actually win some duels. You're gonna actually need to go and go into contact with um, Premier League centre backs because that's the nature of the league. If you don't want to do it, then you need to leave. Like that. That's that's what it is. And I know that might sound extremely harsh, but it's the reality. And I think a lot of people we love to sugarcoat stuff. The, the reality is Havertz needs to. He needs to realize listen i'm a premier league center forward i'm going to be knocked down i'm going to get back up and i'm going to shove him back <laughs> and i'm going to dominate that's that's what he needs to do if if you're not thinking like that then you're not a chelsea nine you're simply not a chelsea nine i don't care what anybody says that's that's a fact i just yeah just to wrap it up i think i think the biggest actually like I, I remember into la- coming into last preseason, not this preseason, the last one, it was the discussion about Broder and I'd watched him a bit of a test and I was like, okay, like there is a lot of work to do on his hold up play and sort of getting into defenders. And then and then I heard he worked under preseason on that. And I remember that game against Bournemouth, he was shrugging off players, he was running in behind, he was getting into defenders' faces. And yes, I agree. I think even if he, he was to say this season... I think Armando would have to do a lot of work and he isn't as good as people think. But then I also don't think he's as bad as some people think as well. Um, I think I think Armando sort of has that sort of cost of vibe to him in that he's he's going to sort of die and run around and be a nuisance. He's a big lad. He's quick. He's he I. I I, after watching Havertz's last three preseason games, there is no way someone can convince me Armando can be worse. And I'm I'm saying that as someone who isn't that massive of a fan of Broder. Um, I I am a fan. I think he's a great striker. I, don't, I just don't think he's anywhere near as good as people think he is right now. Um, and then that sort of leads me on to my next point. In that sort of to wrap it up. In that I think it's this. It's it's really annoying that Armando cannot see that there is a future this season for him to get so many minutes. And I think it's also poor from Todd, from Tuchel, that they're not convincing him. They're not, then they're, they're failing to convince him that being second striker to Havertz is more than good enough for him at this stage of his career. Um, because I can tell you now, after 10 games, he's going to come in Broder for a few games because Havertz wouldn't have scored enough goals and Armando will simply have to play. And then it's up to Armando whether he takes that chance or not. Like, Armando, with with someone like, I don't know, like a Harvey or something like that, or a, I can't even remember who's deciding who's to stay or leave or whatever, but someone like Harvey's like, oh, the chance may not be given. If Broder stays, the chance will have to be given and I can guarantee that. Um, so I think it's, I think, I, I don't know, the West Ham deal looks like it's about a collapse with that Italian dude going to, um, going to West Ham instead. Um, but we'll, we'll have to see what happens with Roger. I'm, I'm hoping he's sort of back for the Udinese game and he can sort of show Havertz what he can do. And then it sort of hopes, hopefully sticks around. Um, but yeah, that's, that's sort of the, the main section of the pod done. There, there was a last section, which I did actually want to go on to, and that was, Sort of a little talk about Tuchel's quotes um, from the post-match press conference last night, and because I think as much as he was frustrated and things like that, there's some really, the, I don't know, there's there's some stuff in there which I certainly disagree with, and I will ask your opinions on it as well. And the the first one which I ping, picked out was um, he said, 
a level of mental commitment that we lack because we have a lot of players who are thinking about leaving and looking at their options. Now, he was using that as, not as an excuse, but perhaps a reason for why we played so badly. One of the reasons. He he gave many reasons, don't worry. This was one of them. Um, and I don't get how he can complain about the level of mental commitment when he's gone out, first of all, the day before saying he wants to keep Azpilicueta despite him knowing that Azpi wants to go to Barca. That's a complete contradiction. He then goes and leaves behind Harvey and Billy, who I'm sure would love to play for this club and love to play every single minute under Tuchel. He then decides to keep on playing Ziyech, Alonso, Werner, who have all been strongly linked with leaving the club. Um, so it's just things... And then and then he continues to play like Mishi Batshuayi and Kennedy and Malang Sar, who have... Who, well, who should have zero interest in staying at this club. So it's just things like this, which these small things which just make no sense to me. I mean, yeah, what, what do you lot think? I think he's incredibly hypocritical, just to say the least. It's not like he can't do it. I mean, once again, you mentioned his comments about Aspen Lequeta's wish to join Barcelona. Let's just remember, Tammy Abraham, he froze him out for six months. So him talking about um, the mentality and all of that, rubbish. I mean, you can, if these players don't want to play, you, you, you leave them behind. They'll drop, but hey, <laughs> that's your analysis of the situation. And it's been an analysis of four manager situations. So if you can do it with Tammy Abraham, you can certainly do it with the players that you're complaining about. So yeah, massive hypocrite. Very simple there. And in regards to Broja, <laughs> to add on to that, imagine what Broja thinks when he sees what he, um, happened with Tammy. Imagine he, when he sees that. Imagine when he sees the co- quotes such as, oh yeah, we can play Werner, Havertz, Raheem. These guys are going to be prioritised naturally by Tuchel. So what would happen if, <laughs> let's say Havertz doesn't score, let's say Werner doesn't score, will he try Broja next or will he try Raheem? And even then, why should Broja be behind Werner in the pecking order potentially? That's, that's, that's the issue here. Says one thing, does another. That's cowardice and very hypocritical. Sorry. Yeah, I tend to agree with Raf here in terms of it's, it's very hypocritical. I, on one hand, I understand it in terms of what I understand is that he can't just exclude some players because they're part of the team and if potentially they don't get sold, he'll, he's going to have to rely on them to an extent, especially the likes of Werner and, and other more expensive, asset, expensive assets. Uh, the issue is that at the same time, I really... I, I don't understand this situation where you know a player is actively wanting to leave you're supposedly trusted now granted we don't know to what extent but you're supposedly trusted with this transfer market right now in this transfer window to to basically you've got a free hand at doing whatever well not a free hand but you understand what i mean and yet you're not stamping down the authority of wanting certain players gone because you did it with lukaku so you could really do it with it 
with anybody because Lukaku was arguably our biggest asset given wages, transfer fee being only one year in and stuff like that. So you can effectively stamp your authority and say, I don't want this player and that player, regardless of the fees, can we get rid? And then you have, and then you come out and complain when you've picked them and you've opted for them, which again, yes, they're first team players and you can't just shove them and ruin squad harmony. But at what point does squad harmony start? Wait, sorry. At what point does the desire to keep squad harmony just start harming your potential job? Because at this point, even Mikel Ateta or anybody else has taken really, really, really tough decisions, but he's taken them with the long-term future of the club in mind. And yes, Arsenal did bottle top four, but did they not beat us 4-0 yet last night with any with the players that Arteta has trusted? And they look miles ahead, something you'd never believe would have happened if you look six months back or maybe a year. So yeah, it's incredibly hypocritical. It's, in my opinion, it's very wrong. And I don't even want to get started on the idea of keeping players that, well, taking players on preseason to have like a year in their deal and being effectively one foot out the door, being there instead of guys who supposedly are fighting for a new contract, <laughs> or at least the club is fighting for them to sign a new contract and you're just shelving them away, thinking they're not good because they quote unquote lack experience. That's the hilarious part as well. Um, just to further mention, <laughs> you do realize this guy, he literally said, right? You're speaking about how they not only, wait, sorry, I've, I've lost my train of thought here because <laughs> I, I, I just remembered it and I was absolutely fuming. Oh, yeah, he was speaking about how the players, they're the same. Yeah, they are the same. <laughs> so, what are you going to do about it? That's what I, I supposedly hear an elite manager is meant to do, right? I see Carlo Ancelotti, automatisms for Benzema and Vinicius Jr., some of the best attackers in the world. But, hey, we might not see the same return here, but we need that here. That, that's, it's, it's very simple because our attackers don't combine with each other. Um, there's no relationship with each, um, with each other. We haven't actually seen a consistent relationship to fathom. Like, that's the issue. Like, <laughs> there's, there's like, there's no cohesion and there's no framework to maximize the space and exploit the space, right? And there's a load of the things that he's just saying, and it's like, bro, you can do something about it. There's, there's a lot more you can do about it, and then we can, re- we can really and truly say, hey, we, we know deep down, us fans know deep down, this, this, this team isn't really that good. And the fans before Lampard got sacked, who were saying we got a world class squad, what are you saying now? Please, what are you saying now? Is you, you were, you were chatting rubbish. The reality is there is a way to somewhat maximise what they can do. But yeah, there will be a point that these guys just aren't it no more. But until we get to that point, hey, there's still a job you can do here. There's a bit of, it's a bit of, I, I really do understand where he's coming from sometimes. But then also you can do much better, much better. And that leads me perfectly onto the final quote, which I'm going to talk about. Um, and this one was 
I mean, yeah, it's 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 what it, you mentioned it, and it, it, the, the quote exactly what you said is listen. So it's the same players. So why should anything change? We will see hopefully development, but at the moment we have the same issues because we have the same players now. First of all, that is not how coaching works. Like on any level whatsoever, like. You, you will hopefully see development. That is exactly what you should be doing. Now, I get, I get that it can be hard to coach some of the wingers we have, but like Ziyech, Pulisic, Hudson Odoi, Sterling—that is not a bad set of wingers. Like they are, they are decent wingers. Like I think a lot of other clubs would happily take them. Um, and as much as like they are so frustrating, most of them on so many levels at times, like. They're, they're decent players and they're players who do get goals and assists and who do have their strength. So it's your responsibility as a manager to manage to get the most out of them. And then he goes and, well, yeah, I mean, like, he literally wanted Lukaku. There is no doubt about that. He was very happy with the signing. Is sort of that striker who he thought could elevate him to the next level. And then he carries on to play the same before, doesn't help Lukaku. Obviously, Lukaku does not help the situation. Do not get me wrong, that interview, blah, blah, blah. But, like, that, you know, sort of, like, the sort of stubbornness to, like, realise that the attackers aren't able to do all the works themselves. Like, this isn't a Neymar and Mbappe sort of team. Um, and even then, like, they needed coaching as well. Like, you've you've always got to have this sort of responsibility and how to coach an attack I think there's no doubt everyone can say he's pretty good with defenders um that's why defenders really are the only happy ones to come to the club so far but even then even like even with Raheem as I said before we've seen we've seen the dribbling of Raheem in pre-season but sort of what we wanted out of Raheem what not what not what we wanted what some people wanted the most out of Raheem um was the goals and assists and you're not going to get the goals and assists from Raheem if he's not high up the pitch, if you're not changing the style of play to the way Raheem gets those goals and assists. And that's due to his elite movement in the box and things like that. He's not getting that at the moment because he's playing as sort of a left winger who's having to track all the way back, who's sort of having to do all the dirty work down deep. And it's just things like that which you've got you've got to think about. Yeah, man, I've always, I've always said it. A football coach... They should be a shepherd, not a gardener. What I mean by that is the shepherd would, they're going to lead the sheep um, to pastures and water. But the gardeners, they grow. They grow. And we, we need growth here. And what we've really and truly seen is regression. If we're going to be completely honest with ourselves, we've seen regression. Not one player outside of the centre backs have really shown in, in an, and Reese James, but that's only because he's been acting as a lot. I've shown a real improvement. Uh, undertook one. That, once again, that's not to critique um, him because at the end of the day, he's got a job to do here and to be fair to him, he has given us a Champions League. But we've got a, we've got a serious issue in regards to we've got a serious issue in regards to Tuchel's misprofiling, which <laughs> has been very detrimental uh, to us in the Premier League where um, the last two times, we really shouldn't have had an ending like we have had. And it can't really continue that way. Yeah, I agree. I agree with what you both said. Uh, 
You know what? My my only worry is that the um, the players we have are really limited. In terms of, I know Raf will hate me, but <coughs> well, sorry, excuse me for that. While I do rate Callum Hudson Odoi a lot, I think he's because of the injuries, because of everything, he's a little stagnated at this point. And then we have a bunch of different profiles. I alluded to that a bit before. We have a bunch. We have a bunch of different profiles which are trying to fit fit which are pretty much mostly down to him i'd agree but we have square pegs and round holes and on on that note you also have a coach who is very reliant on giving the players technical freedom in order to pretty much express themselves offensively which is fine when you have someone like kusman dembele with borussia dortmund and neymar and mbappe and psg but it's not fine when you have a limited player, someone like Hakim Ziyech or Timo Werner or even to an extent Hudson Adoy when you're not putting him in the needed environment, that is. Because that, that is also an issue. And you're essentially trying to make something out of nothing without actually having the tools for it. You're hoping that these limitations will suddenly go away. And I get it that you're frustrated, but at the same time, you you need to show us and show on the field that we can see different patterns of the game that that provide basically the necessary solution. He always talks about a solution, but I never really see a solution. And I really rate Tuchel. I think he knows what he's doing, but at the same time, up until now, there's a real big discussion to be had of just how much the attackers have regressed as to just how limited, but also as to just how limited they are. So what I'm saying is the problem has two sides. And that that is why I am not as critical of Tuchel right now, because I do think that the players are limited in themselves and in the qualities and individual uh, attributes that they possess. But at the same time, as Raf said, and I agree with that, there's been a regression and you can't tell me that what we have right now is as bad as it should be. I think that's even... Um, I think there's a bit of contradiction, contradiction happening here because think about it, right? It took us still yet to find a solution to our attacking woes. At the very least, we need to be creating more than we are, more clear-cut chances. You see how Liverpool create, you see how City create. Heck, yesterday when I watched the game, I always mention this every single time, you see Sacco Martinelli, they are always 1v1 with a fullback. Until we until we see that again, and to be honest with you, before Tuggle came in, it, it was kind of fine. It that in, in that regard, I never used to see people complain about 1v1s when it came to uh Hudson Adoy, Christian Pulisic, or Hacking Ziyech. We never used to complain about it. It was only until Tuggle came where it's been seen as a real issue. And I, once again, I understand why we play in this certain style that we do, but the fact that it's been nearly two years and we're, we're yet to actually see a proper solution. No, not nearly two years, it's a, a year and a bit now. But we haven't actually seen a proper solution. That is an issue. And <laughs> I'm sorry, he, he does need to find a solution for it. Um, because if not, we're going to get teams like Arsenal, who, in my opinion, have practically sussed us out now. More of those. And it's going to be a sticky path like we've seen in the past with certain managers. So. Hopefully for him, he can find a solution, man. Hopefully we will. And 
I think, I think just to end on a slightly more positive note, I think it people have to recognise this is pre-season. We still have time to sort it out. We still haven't seen our best team play together for over 45 minutes. Um, so in that sense, I'm hoping against Udinese, um, we play our best lineup. We play them for 60 minutes, 70 minutes minimum. We get them fit for Everton away. And we sort of see the positives, which we know are there. Like before, before preseason, I was saying this. Even if we had a bad season, I still don't see us finishing out top, out of top four. And right now, if you ask me, I think we'll finish about fifth or sixth. But then again, that's I think just me reacting to preseason. And every single year, I say there's no point in doing that because that's what preseason is about. Yes, there are definitely more problems this year than I've seen before and it's not just the cobwebs of bad passing and bad fitness and things like that there were there were genuine problems um with the whole sort of atmosphere in the club and the squad especially um and sort of like the profiles but but in terms of that I think yeah the preseason. I think there's no need to overreact too much in terms of Tuchel in terms of players in terms of the club and you know there's time to sort it out and I think we'll be absolutely fine. Um, so in that sense, yeah, I think we're just going to wrap it up the podcast. Before I do, I, I did want to also say I watched the under twenty ones game, which was a three forty five kickoff last night, and I wrote a whole match report on it, and none of it saved, which has really pissed me off. So I'll mention it quickly here that, um, yeah, I mean it was one one. We lost on penalties again. We somehow didn't win about six nil in normal time. Um, it was a very similar story to a lot of our development squad games last season. Um, a few players who I'll quickly talk about just in a minute because people obviously can't watch that game back. Like it's not something they upload. Um, Humphreys was really good. I still don't know whether he was left footed or right footed. I don't think even he knows because I asked him last. I asked him after the game yesterday and he said you won't tell me. So that's my assumption that he <laughs> does. He, he doesn't actually know what he is because honestly, I saw I saw him dribble with his right foot past two players and two minutes later. He made two switches with his left. And I was like, what foot yeah. are you? Um, it's ridiculous. He's honestly ridiculous. He, I actually think his weak foot, whichever one it is, is better than Mark Gerhies and Lewis Bakers, which are the two best I've seen in our academy. I actually think he's got the best weak foot I've ever seen so far in our academy. Um, so that's sort of the level we're talking about. Um Joe Hay played really well. He looked really sharp on the turn and he looked definitely a lot quicker than last season, which was really nice to see. And I think I, I want to see that sort of responsibility from Joe this season as he's definitely one of the more senior attackers despite not actually playing that much for the 23s. Um, so I'd really like him to to push on and, you know, be that player which he can be. And then on the opposite side, sort of in the younger side of the Chakas, um, Leo Castledine, he was, he was impressive. He was sort of getting really involved and I, I said it in my season preview I don't think he's going to play for the 21s until the latter stages of the season but the way he's played um, in pre-season it looks like he could generally get a good amount of minutes which would be really good for his development he's I think he has hit 17 I think he oh he may actually still be 16 almost 17 I'm not sure um, either way it's ridiculous what he's doing for his age the three strikers um yeah, I think, I mean, they all missed chances. I think they all could have done better in terms of goals. I think it's really interesting to see what's going to happen this season, whether we're going to play a two-strike formation, which we have tried in pre-season in one of the halves in each game. Um, and the three strikers, by the way, are Jay, Mason and Jude. Um, 
So so yeah, in that sense. And then Charlie Charlie was Charlie was good in midfield. He had two really good start. He then lost the ball twice, and I think he completely lost his confidence. And then I didn't realise he was on the pitch for the remaining of the game. So in that sense, I like to see you know him sort of take out the responsibility after he's got a mistake. Maybe he's used to like. Andy Myers shouting at him after he's lost the ball, but I think he'll get used to Robbo just pushing him on. And Jimmy as well in midfield, there's this perception that he's a winger um, just because, I don't know, he's what left-footed and has played out wide before. I think he definitely looked really strong in midfield. He's such a good midfielder um, in the pivot and he's so he's so composed. He doesn't lose the ball and he really has a positive influence on the game. Um, so yeah, that's a lot of the waffle done. I, I think I'll just... I'll just ask you two, why not? Um, I know you lot love watching the academy as well, so I'll just ask you to name two players you're most looking forward to watching in the under-23 this season, and feel free to give a bit of reasoning as well. Raph, I'll go to you first, and then Peter after. All right, sure. So, uh, number one, I think this is pretty obvious, Charlie Webster. I think he's a, an incredible player. But then also, we've got to remember, he's only on one year left. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I... Potentially his last year at Chelsea, who knows? I really want to see him develop. Now he's in the under-23s, and so he's under-18s for the majority of the year. Uh, but, yeah, I think probably Charlie Webster and either Lewis Hall or probably Jude turns up Bell because, and I know they're the, the typical names that we always um, hear. If we were to go to the under-18s or something, there'll probably be a different answer. But with Jude, I mean, last year, he didn't really have the best of years due to injury. but who know, who knows what happens this year? Hopefully, he can uh, get back to <laughs> to what he was doing before. Uh, well, I don't watch as much football, youth football as you guys, but I do try and keep track of the academy. And I will agree on Charlie Webster definitely, because uh, everybody around me has pretty much hyped the kid, and. <laughs> From what I've watched on uh, Scout, pretty much of him, he really does look great. Although I am scared to say he's probably going to leave, correct me if I'm wrong, if we don't provide him a pathway, which well, we haven't done up until this point. <sighs> I'd probably, for number two, I'd say Omari Hutchinson, probably, because I've seen some of him at yes. Arsenal. And I was actually going to say, I don't know if he's more of a 10 or a right winger. You can correct me on that as well and I was I was even asking in a group chat today whether if things go south and we really have a personnel problem this season could could we see Omari actually debut in a right wing slash right attacking midfielder role for the first team because he does look I think he ripped Chelsea apart didn't he like this year when Arsenal yeah, yeah, beat Chelsea yeah, yeah. And I noticed that, and I was it was really it was really surprising that we picked him up from Arsenal. So I actually think he, he's going to be something exciting for the under twenty three level. And I'm hoping if he's actually good, we provide him a pathway, which we seem to never do for our youth players. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, Amari so far has had some really bright moments. I think he hasn't been as involved in the games as he'd probably like, but that just comes with, you know, not being not playing with your teammates that much. So far, when we've seen him on the ball, he's done some outrageous stuff. His passing is actually really, really good, and I didn't expect that. Um, he's got a really light, sweet left foot, and he's, he's rapid as well. Um, but yeah, I think that, that wraps up the podcast nicely. 
Peter, thank you very much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Same, Parth. Thanks for having me on. No worries. Um, and Raf, thank you very much as well. Hopefully we'll get you on soon. Perfect. Um, and that, yeah, that, that wraps up the pod. Um, you can find me on CFC Parry. You can find Peter on 23 Pankowski. I've definitely butchered that surname. No, you actually um, hit it perfect. I'm not going to lie, you actually hit it perfect. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> and Raf, I mean, you've got three H's and then bunch of underscores but all the all, all those links will be in the in the description down below they'll also be on the podcast link um so please do go and follow them do follow us on the chelsea spot podcast follow us on all our platforms that's instagram twitter um our website the spot.com do give us a five star review on podcast it really it helps us grow that is on you can do that on spotify and itunes and all the platforms you're listening on um but yeah thank you very much for listening and stay tuned for the next one